Hello everyone, welcome to the Chicago Justice Show. I'm your host, Tracy Siska. I am also the Executive Director of the Chicago Justice Project. You can find out more about our transparency and accountability work at chicagojustice.org. And also, if you're looking in, in getting involved in our work, we have dozens and dozens of people, volunteers and interns working for us on our nation program. You can find that at cjpnation.org. You can find more information, get in contact with people if you're interested. So today, we have uh, our main segment is uh, about Lightfoot, Mayor Lightfoot's $1 million snitch fund, about getting information about illegal gun possession. And then our FOP watch segment, we're going to talk about anonymous complaints and how not much is going to change despite the state's bill because Lightfoot is not who she claimed to be, I guess is the best way of saying it. We're going to talk about a piece from the Better Government Association about carjackings, blind spots at the Illinois Department of Corrections, places in their facilities where guards know they can do what they want to prisoners because they don't have cameras. Then after the break, we're going to talk, um, we're going to look a little more at the Crime Victims Fund. The state of Illinois is this crime uh, a fund that's supposed to um, try to make people who have been victims of violent crime whole again. It's massive failure. Then we're going to talk about a New York Times article about sexual assault and rape and about how no one believes the victims. And then our last piece is uh, op-ed basically in The Hill. But this one comes from Nick Turner, who's executive director at the Vera Institute in New York, somewhere I was an intern with, intern 15, 15 years ago, 15 years ago plus. And um, I, I met him during the internship, but he talks about how Biden's criminal justice violence prevention program or plan is just basically a failure because it's going to rely on police. So ladies and gentlemen, tomorrow... 5 p.m. Central, finally, the mayor's, or I should say the community commission ordinance is supposedly set to pass. After weakening the hell out of it as much as they possibly humanly unbelievably could, they finally came to an agreement to make a pretty much useless organization. It's sad, I wish I was wrong, but I'm, I don't think I am. There wasn't a whole lot of... Um, potential in either of those either of those proposals the gap or a cpac one to make massive structural change i wish i was wrong but i'm not i've been doing this 25 years and i'm pretty i'm betting i'm betting that is what has been agreed on agreed upon by mayor lightfoot and the cpac capital coalition is pretty damn weak only took mayor what two years of her administration to pass probably an incredibly, unbelievably weak version. What I've read, I don't like. I don't have the legislation in front of me yet, so it'll be on Wednesday show for sure. But tomorrow at 5 p.m., the Committee on Public Safety, the useless organization that it is, is set to uh, have another hearing and vote on it. We will be tweeting, live tweeting that hearing at cjp just Praj. so get on twitter follow us on twitter at cjp just Praj, p-r-o-j and you can uh, be a part of that conversation as we go live with it tomorrow for the hearing okay before we get to our main segment if you're interested in helping out this show and the chicago justice project at all 
get to become a sponsor. You can go to chicagojustice.org or you can drop us a line at info at chicagojustice.org or you can go to our nation website, which is where our volunteers and interns come together and work together on projects at cjp uh, cjpnation.org and you can donate there also. Become a sponsor. Give us the ability to bring guests live onto this show and also give us the ability to expand to live streaming the events like tomorrow night, police board hearings, City Council hearings, Cook County Board hearings, Illinois General Assembly hearings. We would like to stream all of those. We need your help to do it. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get to our first segment. For those who did not see, the campaign, the blame, I'm not sure what to call it, the campaign, and there are plenty of guns in Chicago, but Mayor Lightfoot and Brown are blaming everything and anything and unbelievable things, everything they possibly can on illegal gun possession. Illegal guns, guns in general, are a problem in Chicago. There's no doubt about it. Solutions, though, this is not one of them. There are plenty of science-backed, science-reinforced, data-driven solutions. Snitch fund is not one of them, at least not that I know of. So we're talking basically here about a Sun Times article. I'll look at a couple of the quotes. The article is titled, Lifefoot creates million dollar fund to reward tips leading to seizure of illegal firearms. I believe, yeah, this is a Fran Spielman article. So we're going to take a look. Reminder, ladies and gentlemen, you want to comment or submit questions for the show, please do so at any of the platforms you're watching us at now. Twitter. Facebook, YouTube, or Twitch, they all come to my screen, and I will try to include them as best I can. So let's get to a couple of the quotes from this article. We need to think creatively about other tools. This is Lightfoot. That's why today I'm announcing a million-dollar reward fund for information that leads to the seizure of illegal firearms. We're setting up the structure for people to provide tips, anonymous, if you so desire, to the point to point us to the presence of illegal firearms, the mayor said before breaking ground on the Chicago Park District's new headquarter campus in Brighton Park. Ain't gonna make a difference. Okay, next. If they are in the house, down the block, in a car, or in a secret stash, we are calling on our residents to overcome your fears, to no longer be hesitant to report the presence of illegal firearms. This moment that we are in demand, that we are in demands, each of us to dig down deeper, to step up. We need everyone's help to make sure that they are doing everything that we can to address the horrible plague of illegal firearms. And my hope is that this million dollar reward fund incentivizes people to step up, to speak out and help us reclaim our streets from the shooters and the violence. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, who saw this? And the first thing they thought of is anyone who has a beef on anyone calls in an anonymous tip that there's an illegal gun in that person's house or car. Why not? So all you're doing is going to be massively increasing the amount underserved communities are interacting with the police. That's a loss. Next, you're going to allow people to take out grievances on each other. Ex-gangs, uh, my my girlfriend's now dating another different guy. Let's go get him searched. All of that's going to come up, right? In the midst of people trying to really genuinely call in illegal guns. 
Is it going to make a massive change? It isn't. It isn't. This is pure propaganda. This is pure PR. This is to calm the media and calm downtown Chicago and calm all the stupid aldermen that are complaining about guns and violence and stuff. And it's not good, but can we have some real solutions? You think a million dollars is going to turn around all of Chicago's issues with gun violence? A million dollars? Reminder, ladies and gentlemen, our mayor, Mayor Lightfoot, 2019, the city of Chicago collected $929 million in TIF funding, tax increment finance funding. Talk about it on the show all the time. Of that, the mayor is going to provide $1 million. $1 million. So she is spending one nine hundred and twenty-ninth of the tax increment financing money for this. One nine hundred and twenty-ninth. One one thousandth. Almost. No, it ain't gonna make a difference. It'd be nice. You may well get black and brown males, because that's who's mostly gonna be. It could also be females, could be family members shot and killed because they're going to start being pulled over and searched and their houses raided because they got tips of illegal guns. And they may have nothing to do with each other. Could be from a fender bender. Could be someone disrespecting someone. All of that is going to play into who these call, placing these calls. It doesn't mean that, hey, none of the calls will be legitimate. Some will. But many are not going to be. And whatever we think that number is, whatever it is, it's too many for this type of program. But when all you're trying to do is have the media get off your back and uh, council foes from council members, you know, aldermen, other people, you want to get off your back, this is the program you do. The point is this. This article continues. I think this is also still Lightfoot. This crisis demands bold and creative action. It demands more of each of us. And as your mayor, it demands more of me. I'm willing and unapologetically accept this challenge, the mayor said. I continue. And I hope and certainly pray with God's grace, we will work through and lead ourselves to a better place to get those, to get through this challenge, just as we have led and gotten through COVID. And I will repeat, until our residents feel safe, safe, nothing else matters. It has been and will remain my highest priority. Politics, ladies and gentlemen, politics. This isn't about finding solutions. One one thousandth of the TIF money being dedicated to a solution to gun violence in Chicago that has plagued the city probably for like 100 years. How in the world is that going to make a major dent? And it may, I should say, it's going to, it will, it's almost assured, if not 100% assured, that someone or more someones will die in our interactions with the police that are based on nothing but bogus calls. It is inevitable. It will happen. It will. People are going to be calling this gang members, rivals, are going to be calling this and dropping anonymous tips on people they don't like sending the police to them. On this, in the online world, it's called, they call swatting, where they call in some horrific event and the SWAT team shows up at some enemy's or someone they don't like's house. This is going to be the same thing, except it's going to be um, through a Lightfoot setup 
fund here. Now, I, once again, ladies and gentlemen, hashtag, where is they, where is, where is the change? Um, Eric, our engineer, and um, he used to help us engineer the show, and also he was working on with me today to, a, a way to adapt the show to bring in more live streams. Because um, as, as if his comment on, on Twitch is as if, as if it wasn't, swatting wasn't bad enough. No, it's awful. And this is just not, this is going to be a, a smaller, more horrible version. They will get some guns. Um, but once again, ladies and gentlemen, before I move on to the next segment, remember something, please, for me. In light, in Kim Fox's um, presentation, this webinar that they did, they're talking about how, as the number since 2013, the number of gun possession arrests had gone up, and it just shot up in the last couple of years in Chicago, right? The number of gun possession arrests. However, the clearance rate, the rate at which the CPD is arresting people for shooting a gun, whether it's a murder or just shooting actually using the gun has gone down. And Lightfoot and Brown are like, oh yeah, that's okay. Well, you don't understand. We're just getting guns off the street. What are you talking about? You're not getting the guns that, from the people that are using them. Somehow that's okay. Oh my Lord. This is propaganda. Now remember, ladies and gentlemen, what you're also going to see here, which is also what you saw with Rahm Emanuel's thousand officer hire and God knows how many got really hired and whatever and how it kept up for attrition. But at the same time he did it, after a bad 16, crime went down. It had nothing to do with the hire. It had nothing to do with the hire or hiring of those officers. It's just that the, the, the things that cause crime and violence, especially violence, especially gun violence, are um, massively intersectional. It has to do with gangs. It has to do with drugs. It has to do with majorly with poverty and racism and segregation and no jobs but it has a lot of things pride um all these things are wrapped up into it and you can't just pick out one 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 millionth or one one thousandth of a piece and hope you're going to solve the problem it's just um it's just um ridiculous i don't know it's just ridiculous I got it. Uh, thanks for the note, Hillary. I don't know why comments are off on YouTube, but we will get that fixed hopefully by next show. Okay, here's our next segment, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to set this up. So, there is a HB 3653 in the Illinois Senate. Pat, in the Illinois House and Senate. Passed. Governor Pritzker just signed it. I think last week finally signed it. What it does is it removes the mandate in state law through the police officer's bill of rights that complaints against officers that a citizen files or a fellow officer mandate, it removes the mandate that those be accompanied by a affidavit, a signed affidavit that can have you prosecuted for perjury if you lie materially in, in that. So when we saw that, it was like, oh, great. We're going to get rid of the affidavit in Chicago requirement. No. And I will tell you that for years, this was brought up in the Chicago Coalition for Police Accountability. And people have been talking about getting rid of it. And some 
organizations, which I won't mention because I don't have who exactly said it when, we're talking about, well, it's both in state law and the union contract, so we're not going to push the city to get rid of the union contract because it's also in state law. Because the useless, moronic Mayor Daly, Rahm Emanuel, and now Lori Lightfoot, because I'll get to in a minute, let, put that in the union contract also because it was in state law, so they just incorporated it into the union contract. That was a mistake. So the propaganda around not meeting a signed affidavit by state law, well, guess what? You have to change it in the union contract in Chicago, too, with the Fraternal Order of Police, or it won't make a difference. You got to get it from two places. You got to get it out of two places. And since the activists, including me, did not get it out of the union contract years ago, it should have been. We should have pursued that. Now we got it out of state law, but it doesn't make a difference because guess what? It's still in the union contract. Now, the mayor... And the city are are negotiating that with the FOP currently. The video we're going to watch is from John Cotanzara, the FOP chairman, Fraternal Order Police Chairman, the largest union in Chicago. Now, before you, um, I shouldn't say before, after you see the show, go to our website at chicagojustice.org and you will see uh, home screen, lower right. Just right in the home screen. You don't have to scroll anywhere. Lower right is the link to our report we released. To, from uh, uh, 23 years of his history of misconduct and his grotesque social media plugs. Go read that about this guy so you have a little more context of who the mayor is forced to negotiate with. But let's see. Did the mayor, who now has the power and has been in office two years and has been negotiating pretty much the entire time, has she gone after and removed the affidavit rule from the union contract so now people can file anonymous complaints against officers that get full investigations. So let me explain one thing. If you file previous to HB 3653, and it also being in the union contract, you can file an anonymous, anonymous complaint against an officer, and at that time, Office of Professional Standards would investigate the whole thoroughly. Now, and that's without an affidavit, now or since the Bill of Rights and, and, and IPRA was created, the Independent Police Review Authority, and around the 2007, what was required is you have to sign an affidavit to submit the complaint. If you don't, depending on the investigative agency, could be either at that point the Independent Police Review Authority or Internal Affairs. Either one could investigate it depending on what the content of the complaint was. Both of those agencies, or whichever agency was investigating it, could... Um, What's the best way to say it? They could do a cursory investigation. So like, oh, you know, this happened at an intersection. Let's go see if there's video. Right? Red light camera or some other kind of camera that could, right? Pod camera there. Or it happened in a business. Maybe they have a security camera. We can go pull footage. All right. No, they, there was security camera. We got it. It verifies it. If they get it and it verifies it, then they can apply for an override. The head of IPRA would apply to the override the head of internal affairs. The head of internal affairs would f apply to the override to IPRA. Like, hey, we think we have enough to override the affidavit function. Can we do a full investigation? Without that override, they, can, they can't do the full investigation without the affidavit. Now, go back to one of our shows with Deborah Witzberg, the Deputy Inspector General for Public Safety. We, um, we did a show. They've done a report on this. The the override function was almost never used by the Independent Police Review Authority or COPA or Internal Affairs. They hardly almost never used it, right, during that time. So with this context, 
we have the head of the Fraternal Order Police, John Cottonzar, talking about his negotiations. They supposedly, the FOP in the city, just recently reached an agreement. It's not formal yet, but they reached uh, an agreement to an agreement, I guess, um, on economic issues, back pay, stuff like that. Here is um, John Cotanzara from the Friday Updates. He posts on YouTube every day on the FOP's YouTube channel. Talking about that, it runs about just under five minutes. Then we'll come back and talk about what Lightfoot did or didn't do. See for yourself. The second part is when it comes to anonymous complaints. The anonymous complaints are part of 3563. They got that done in Springfield. Um, we're going to still try and work on it, but the way the anonymous complaint component, and we, we were trying to get it to where it's a confidential complaint, semantics, different wording, but in reality, at some point, we wanted the person making the complaint to be revealed to the officer, same as any criminal court. Where we're at with it is this. If an anonymous complaint comes in and COPA does an affidavit override, which they have the authority to do, so, I mean, it, the, the anonymous complaint is almost a reality in today's world, sad but true. So we tried to layer as many levels of protection as we could. What happens when a complaint comes in, the affidavit override kicks in. It's a log number. Once they determine that there is going to be an investigation prior to it going from a log number to a CR number, the officer will have the ability to file a grievance, request arbitration. An arbitrator will decide if there was enough evidence uh, for them to do an affidavit override. The arbitrator could say they didn't meet the burden, it's tossed out, the log number is erased, never on your record. If the arbitrator says there was enough there, then it turns into a CR investigation, goes from there. You still have your discipline protections and the grievance arbitration procedure to fight the findings or the discipline recommendation at a second, if not a second bite at the apple, it's just two different dynamics, but that's the best protection we can come up with. Um, it's even a little different and stronger than I think what the sergeants have right now. Those are some of the simple components of what we're looking at. There's no sense going into a deep dive right now until we get a yes or no from the mayor's office. Uh, like I said, hopefully Monday, we shall see. On a more important note, or more urgent note, City Council will be having a public safety meeting 5 p.m. on Tuesday prior to their general City Council meeting on Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. They are taking up the subject matter of more accountability. God only knows why. The police board was given broad powers about uh, suggesting police policies years ago. They've never done it, um, but as when it comes to police policy, the police board has had the ability to do that. They want to create a whole other entity, and this is a big struggle. And here's one of the strange, unique times where we're on the same page with the mayor. The ability to construct department policy and procedures should be at the mayor's desk, period. It should not be a civilian oversight dictating how men and women are going to operate in the police department. But that's what they want to do. Uh, we have to absolutely have our voices heard. It's incumbent upon all of you to reach out to your aldermen, your friends, your family, 
blow up their phones, visit their ward offices, let them know there is already too much oversight when it comes to the police department. They need oversight more than we do a hundred times over. But that being said, we have to make sure that Bill gets killed where it's at in the Public Safety Committee on Tuesday night. If that becomes a reality, it is only going to make this job harder. These aldermen who are pushing this agenda, they have no idea what they're doing. They are just so blind to the future and what this city will become. Um, I've said it several times, the police department has four levels of oversight already. That's more than twice. <laughs> Nobody has more than two layers. We have four. They're thinking about adding a fifth now. It's just lunacy. But you really need to be on top of your game and let the aldermen know everywhere across this city it cannot happen. You can call you know, Alderman Taliaferro, even if he's not in your ward. He's the, he's the chairman of public safety. Give him a call. Um, let him know what you think. And if you could even make the city council meeting uh, on Wednesday morning, even better. Or the public safety meeting at 5 p.m. on Tuesday. You can still attend in person. It's limited seating, but you have the ability to be heard. There will be a public speaking comment section. Uh, as you know, I've made many trips there myself. Uh, I probably plan on p attending actually Tuesday night myself. But with that being said, Wow, that killed, closed. All right, so you hear, you hear him, right? So what did Lightfoot do? Basically nothing. So let me explain. When the complaint comes in, instead of becoming a full CR, which is a full-blown full internal investigation, or investigation by the police accountability system, if it gets a log number, which isn't directly tied to you yet, And then if they do a cursory investigation and then seek an override, then it becomes a CR. Complaint registry is what that stands for. It becomes a full-blown investigation. Um, that's basically what we had. What are you talking about? So what did Lightfoot get? Nothing. You know, I keep seeing on Twitter, and I keep getting uh, DMs, she's a cop. She's nothing but a cop. I got to tell you, there's not a whole lot of change. For someone who headed up the Police Accountability Task Force and all the rhetoric you heard from her about the, the task force and all of that, God darn it, she has been useless. Um, she did nothing here that Ron would have done that Daly wouldn't have done and got nothing and gave the cops everything. Eight-year contract, wonderful, so we don't have to go through this for another three or four years or something like that. But because they're like three or four years late. What other than that did you get, Mayor? What did you get? She got nothing. She gave the store away. And I'm going to try to bring on a lawyer to talk about whether or not they could have in that state bill, HB 3653 or whatever, you know, was a, that was a package of bills omnibus bill and well, they could have in state law just made it that you could not mandate it in union contracts it's frustrating we got nothing at least that's what it seems um i don't think anything has changed 
So sad. Okay, we're going to move on to our next segment. It's a it's a post from the Better Government Association titled, Few Programs Steer Child Carjackers Away from Trouble. Now, let's um, come to terms with something. All four of the programs, which, you know, obviously that we've covered in the show before the Tribune hates. It's about parental responsibility and just installing discipline in kids. If you can just do that, you have nothing to worry about. Poverty, no, don't worry about it. But anyways, programs are not going to solve the problems of Chicago. They're not. They're not. They're not. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying they're not. Unless the program is to eliminate poverty, you're not going to really dent what's going on in Chicago crime and violence wise isn't happening so with that let's give you some context let's look at the article the review of police and court records as well as scores of interviews with family members juvenile of juveniles charged with carjackings and the victims criminologists program directors youth advocates found few programs available to first-time carjack offenders and only a few court-appointed mentors are assigned to help steer juveniles away from trouble Interesting. I don't know why they focus just on carjackings. What are the programs for first-time offenders for violence as a whole? I don't know. Carjackings are making all the headlines, so that's what's going on. Many urban places have issues with carjackings, but why not just all of them? I'm sure the Tribune hates the BGA because, oh my God, another program? Those never work. Just install discipline. Better parenting. Don't worry about rampant intergenerational poverty. The article continues, Felton's daughter, is one of the people covered in the article, is just one of scores of Chicago youths arrested for carjacking last year. Part of a rise in Chicago and other cities across the nation, well, at least they had that context. Nearly all of Chicago's minors arrested were black and from long-neglected communities. Yes. Experts say a pandemic-era detachment from the lifelines of school, social activities, and close family contact left the teenagers especially vulnerable to dangerous influences. Yes, all of that. Sure, I'm down with that. Next. There's just an absolute dearth, dearth, dearth? There's an absolute dearth of services. And the consequences are truly life and death, said Rosanna Ander, Executive Director of the University of Chicago Crime Lab. Um, we had people from the Crime Lab on the show over last summer talking about the officer support system. So, um, so Ander, Executive Director of the University of Chicago's Crime Lab, which has analyzed a recent spike in Chicago carjackings. Okay, congrats. Yes, there is a death of services, but there's been a death of services. Like, yes, they, there, there are no services for carjacking. People who do carjackings, you know, the first-time offenders. But what about shootings and aggravated batteries and armed robberies? I mean, there's just, there, it's not just, um, what's the word for it? It's not just specific to carjackings. The article continues, excuse me, there is right now a form of magical thinking where kids go, get arrested, get returned right back in the community with few services or supports, and we're expected that somehow being arrested is going to make the situation better, Anders said. We're not doing anything different beyond that, and doing nothing is, I think, dangerous for everybody, including young people themselves. Very true. Very true. But the long-term solution is not... The services. The services should be provided. We need 
to change the economics. We need to cut off the people getting in, feeding the system. And you do that not by what Alderman Lopez would argue or Alderman Fioretti would argue or Paul Vallis, all who are almost for the most part completely useless on this issue. You don't do it by punishment because it doesn't work. Oh, well, you're just a liberal. You don't know. No, the science says it doesn't work. We have decades and decades and decades and decades of research. It doesn't work. Deterrence doesn't work. Or it doesn't work at a rate of um, high enough that it's going to make a difference. The reoffending rate, the recidivism rate at which people get out of prison and go back, it's unbelievably high. I don't remember, I don't want to quote a number because I don't remember what, I haven't looked it up recently. But man, it's been up 70% in years past. That's not, deterrence isn't working. That's an epic failure. And pretty much any program you put in to reduce recidivism works better than deterrence. Why? Because deterrence almost no work. So if you say it's 70%, all the, the new programs got to come in is be at 68 if only 68% of people go back, it's a winner. That's how bad deterrence is. But you can't get that in. Look at Paul Vallis spouting out, out of his ass. He knows nothing about what he's talking about. But it's all support the police. Give them more money. Give them everything. Lock everyone up for as long as humanly possible. No. Uh, Superintendent Brown, Alderman Lopez, Alderman Napolitano, Alderman Spizzato. All completely, utterly, disgustingly, completely useless on the issue. They don't give a shit about science. They know better. They just know. I know. Just like Trump. They're all Trumpers. I know. I, I mean, no, because I've had a God-given... Um, I have a God-given... Um, intelligence on an issue that I have no research on. Now, Brown has. Brown may know differently and may be lying which is probably worse than just being ignorant. Same thing with Napolitano. He was a cop. He should know. So if he doesn't, then thank God he's off the force, but they should still fire him for the Alderman's job for not knowing. But I bet Brown is probably just lying. I bet you he's just lying. I bet you he does know better and he just doesn't care. It gets him points to lie, so he's going to lie. Okay, we're going to move on to our fourth segment here. Beaten to death by prison oh, guards and before I, sorry, before I, I forgot it's a video. Before I turn that on for you all, ladies and gentlemen, let me give you some context. It's about an, a story from Channel 2 News, CBS Chicago. The title of the video, and I don't really want to talk about this specific case necessarily, but I'm, I'm bringing it on the show today to talk about just how broken accountability is throughout all of the criminal justice system. So the title of this report from CBS to Chicago is Inmate Fatally Beaten in Prison Blind Spot. Highlights, failures to oversee jail guard, Watchdog says. Okay. This is Jennifer Volen Katz, who's this expert, and I will say we are already in communication uh, with Volen Katz, and she will be on this show in the next couple of weeks, hopefully before the 6th when we're taking a break for about 10 days. Um, but if not, we'll have her after that break. But she will be on a show talking about this. And what I want you to think about, ladies and gentlemen, is like how in 2018, I think is when the, the, the murder happened, how did this exist? 
How are there blind spots in prisons where there are no cameras and everybody knew and no one did anything? Here's the segment. I'll be back in three minutes and 24 seconds. Often beaten to death by prison guards in 2018. We recently told you about the beating and where it took place in the shadows, not captured on surveillance video because it happened in a notorious blind spot. Tonight, a prison watchdog group tells CBS2 investigator Megan Hickey the case highlights the need for more oversight. Megan, they believe this beating death is just the beginning. Right, Brad, COVID-19 created more barriers for prison watchdogs. While the Illinois Department of Corrections says they've fixed that notorious blind sight, advocates say there's still more work to be done. These are people who don't have access to the outside world to sound alarm bells, to get help when needed, and that's really troubling. 65-year-old Larry Irvin couldn't sound any alarm bells in 2018 when he was disciplined by correctional staff at Western Illinois Correctional Center in Mount Sterling, out of sight of the facility's cameras. How they could treat someone human like that. Last month, the Chicago native son told me he wanted answers for his father's brutal death. A 65-year-old, he wasn't able to defend himself, handcuffed, you know, I don't know who does that. You don't even treat animals like that. Irvin was one of several victims of beating in the blind spot, which the Illinois Department of Corrections or IDOC tells me was corrected after his death with the installation of 79 new cameras at Western Illinois Correctional Center over the last year. And so, but Jennifer Volan Katz, executive director of the 120 year old John Howard Association, we're prison watchdogs, tells me the cameras are far from enough. The question is who's monitoring the footage, who's looking at the cameras, who's looking at the footage, and, and what are they doing? with that information. She tells me their boots on the ground prison monitoring was shut down by COVID and when they asked the department to allow random remote screenings of surveillance video. We were told it would not be that that was not something they were going to allow us to do. So no, no, maybe technical reason as to why they couldn't allow it. Allow it. They just said it, it wasn't something they'd allow. Correct. In December 2019, three Illinois prison guards were indicted in connection with Irvin's death. One pleaded guilty, the other two are awaiting trial. But his family believes so much more could have been done to prevent his death. Volan Katz tells me this case shows how crucial a third-party monitor outside the Department of Corrections really is. I think that this case highlights the need for increased transparency and oversight. How people are treated in prison is something we should all be concerned about. You know, these are human beings. Now, IDOC tells me they hired a chief inspector to provide more oversight. The John Howard Association says they appreciate that hire, but they feel like it's a conflict of interest. They'd like to see a monitor that's not part of the agency that he or she oversees. Brad? Yeah, that kind of seems obvious. Uh, what does IDOC have to say about the lack of access for these kinds of prison watchdogs, uh, specifically during the pandemic, Megan? Okay. So there were spots in prisons in Illinois that were not covered by cameras. Guards knew about it and had been around a long time. And the wardens, people running the prison, prisons, did nothing, the facilities. That's what this report is saying.
what the hell's going on? What the hell is going on there? Now, how about the Illinois General Assembly or the governor's office force an audit of each prison and see where, bring a grand jury in and see where there are blind spots in any of the prisons and who in the facilities knows where those blind spots are. Talk to the prisoners, talk to the guards, talk to the administrators. Even if it's only for information, get that information and then fire every single person who knew and did nothing. It's not an accident. This was allowed to happen on purpose. On purpose. Because it served whatever interest of the guards, the facility, the warden, the, whoever's running the prison. I'm not sure if they're called wardens in Illinois. They knew it served their facility. Let's take a closer look at one of the quotes here. She said, and this is Volencast, she said their boots on the ground prison monitoring was shut down by COVID. When they asked for the asked the corrections department to allow random remote screenings of surveillance video, we were told that it was not something they would allow us to do. No technical reason was given. They're not going to fire anyone. The leaders of IDOC are not going to do it. The governor and the Illinois General Assembly has to step on them and make them do these things. Where's Kwame Raul? Mr. Attorney General, where are you? Step on them, make them do it. They won't do it any other way. The reason they didn't send up that remote uh, random access to videos is because they're hiding stuff. Why wouldn't you say, sure, let's find a way to do this. Go ahead, look at all the video. We got nothing to hide. Listen, accountability throughout this justice system in Chicago, Cook County, Illinois, the United States of America, is absolutely, utterly broken. Absolutely default position is cover up any which way they can. But they can't completely. So, ladies and gentlemen, we are probably a week or two away from sending the Illinois Department of Corrections demand letters and then let's say it's going to be early August. So let's say October, November, we're going to hit them with a multi-count lawsuit. We are suing the crap out of the Illinois Department of Corrections. They have multiple, multiple FOIA denials. Stupid stuff. How many gang members in each facility? They won't tell you that. Well, come on down to Cook County Court, ladies and gentlemen. And let's see if we can't get a judge to make you open up. I'm pretty sure we're going to win. I think most of our FOIAs, I mean, they're set up to sue. So most of our FOIAs, the Illinois Department of Corrections, that, didn't, that they denied, we're going to win those. And we're going to take the data whether they like it or not. One of my board members a while back said we should just send Rana, we should send FOIAs in for videos from all the cameras. Maybe a day's worth. And because of this story, we may have to do something like it. It's a fascinating story. Okay, we're going to be back in one minute. 
This is information about our nation program. You want more information than just this one-minute ad, go to cjpnation.org and get involved. If you look at the Cotton Zara report on our website, if you look at the public safety report on our website, those reports were driven 99% by people from our nation, interns and volunteers. So we'll be back in one minute, and we'll be back talking about um, the Illinois Crime Victims Reimbursement Fund. It just... Absolute horrific failure. We'll be back in one minute. Join a group of engaged and committed individuals advocating for transparency and accountability in the local justice system around the country. Get engaged through crowdsourced research projects, digital activism, public policy advocacy, or become a social media ambassador. Our criminal justice system will not reform itself. Communities must demand it. Transparency can be the fuel for justice our local communities need to combat the weaponizing of data by our justice system. Transformation of our justice system cannot occur until we know exactly what they are doing and who they are doing it to. Get involved today. CJP Nation. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. We're going to move on. We'll see how long this takes. This may be our last segment. We may have one more. Um... See what we can do with time here. So this segment, it's an article from the Chicago Sun-Times. It is, Illinois created a program, the title, Illinois created a program to compensate crime victims nearly 50 years later. It is failing. I bet it's been failing pretty much since it was set up. So before we get into this, this is about reimbursement for things if you were injured that your insurance doesn't. So it could be like clothes if you got blood on them, other possessions. So it's trying to make you whole on top of the insurance and everything. It's not a bad thing. It's definitely something that should be done. I think it may help with funeral costs, so that's great. Um, And I know back when I was in grad school, there was someone affiliated with the department that had Oh my God, excuse me. My Her nephew killed. And the, the funeral home wouldn't release the body until they paid thousands of dollars. Um, so I know the students, myself among me, among them and a couple others, raised funds among the students to help her out. Um, so it is... I don't know anything... Well, it's a backup. I didn't know anything about this fund. I didn't even know it existed. I've been doing police accountability work and justice accountability work and transparency since 1996, maybe a little before that. Never even knew this existed. Okay, so let's let's get to some of the article. Using records obtained through the Illinois Freedom of Information Act, the TRACE, which is a separate organization that works on a news agency that uh, does stuff on guns and gun violence. The TRACE analyzed nearly 15,000 claims processed by the state's victim Victims Compensation Program between 2015 and 2020, fewer than 4 in 10 applicants got any reimbursement. Yep. Why? Because they make it so hard. It's like you got to be like a lawyer or an expert in filling out these forms to do it. Which brings me to developers get their TIF money, TIF money, TIF money without any problem. They never miss that money. But here we are, the state only giving 4 in 10 applicants money. In Chicago, just one application was filed for every 50 violent crimes during the period reviewed. Now, that's not the greatest number 
it's not great, right, in the outset, but you're a victim of a violent crime. It doesn't necessarily mean you're out money. Right? Someone could carjack you, stick a gun in your head, take your car, insurance covers it. What are you out if you don't go to, I don't know, if you're not shot or something, what are you actually out? All this does is get you, um, I don't know what, it only gets you reimburses for things you've lost. And if it's a car or something, they, you're, they will get be insurance for that. So I'm not sure if that number really holds up. I think it's startling regardless, but I don't think it really holds up. And so this is programs run by the Illinois Attorney General's Office and the Court of Claims. So what I don't understand, supposedly we're going to get to that the paperwork's the issue. So what I don't understand is why don't they have hospitals and the police fill out most of this paperwork? And whatever isn't, hand them, hand it to them, help them fill it out. But let's get to the back to the article. In Chicago, just one application. Oh, no, we did that already. If you don't send... Oh, if you don't spend money. Yeah, so we'll get back to the article. Some survivors of violent crimes like Manning, someone who was pictured there, waiting for the analyst to make a decision can feel like peering into a black hole. They can't go online to look up where their claim stands. And is done in, as is done in Indiana, Tennessee, the process is largely done through the mail, unlike some states that communicate with applicants by phone and email. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. It is 2021, and the Crime Victims Reimbursement Fund, or whatever this is called, communicates with people strictly by mail. Is that mind-numbingly stupid, or what? State is so backwards sometimes. The article continues. You have to explain how the injury affected you. You have to submit supporting documentation. They really depend... That really depends on the stability of the applicant's living situation and how informed the client is. Do you have your police report? Do you have an incident report? Do you have a medical report? Can you document the clothes that you lost? Right? They want, they want evidence of all of this. You can't just say, I lost $500 worth of clothes. Give me 500 bucks. That ain't going to happen. Here's the bottom line. The poor get screwed by just about every program. It seems like screwing the poor is Illinois' jam. They love it. There are some good, good meaning people in the Illinois General Assembly. God, but these programs are just broken. The article continues. The low rate of, of approvals isn't surprising for Maria Balada, director of a director with resilience. She's been she was on our town hall around sexual assault data. You can go look that up on YouTube and Facebook archives. A support organization for oh, she's a resilient support organization for sexual assault survivors. Blada said her team tries to set realistic expectations with survivors about the program's limitations. She continues, "It's just because such a it's just become such a convoluted system for us to navigate with victims." And she's a professional, very smart person, by the way, very intelligent. Go look at our um, the show, the town hall, and you'll understand what I'm saying. Typically, it's a bureaucracy that makes it feel like it's inaccessible. The reason people end up not getting any compensation often is because an analyst couldn't substantiate a crime victim's claims. What to substantiate? Have the CPD put it into a state database that the crime happened and who the victim is. 
they have a victim, this is who it is. If they're at a certain level that meets certain cert criteria, some kind of violence, it goes into the database. The CPD has to put it in. They put their RD number, they put the report number in. What's the problem? Hospital, put a space for the hospital. Hey, yes, here's the report number, here's the number in the database for the crime victimization fund. Have the, the hospital put in what they need to put in. What's the problem here, ladies and gentlemen? This is 2021. This isn't 1998 when we were working on Windows 95. What are you talking about? This, this system is designed not to work for people. It's a joke. You could have the police departments do this. The police department could have an entire 5, 10 people that did nothing but to put this stuff in the Illinois database and verified it. Talk to victims about what they lost. Whether they were stuff was stolen from them, whether they lost clothes, they were shot and they bled over it, they had stabbed or bled over, whatever, right? This is fixable with technology. Very easy technology. A database is not hard. Maybe hard for the state of Illinois, but it's not hard for anyone else. I think Amazon and other people, they, they've kind of figured out the way to make a database. I, I just don't get this, why this is a problem. But in the end, it's like it always happens. The people with the least amount of money get screwed. And the people with the least amount of money who are in most need of getting this reimbursement because they're the victims of violent crimes a lot and they're the ones who most need getting that little bit of what they lost back because a rich person, they don't need that so much, right? They have the resources to go on with their lives. At least a lot more than the poor people do. But once again, this system is set up so to screw the poor. They always screw the people with the least. It's a universal thing in Illinois. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. We'll be back uh, Wednesday and Friday at 5.30. Remember, tomorrow, 5 p.m. Central, we'll be live tweeting the Committee on Public Safety's meeting. They may finally pass something of merit. Only took six years to get this community commission, and I'm but I haven't seen the draft yet. But I'm betting from what I've seen, it's incredibly watered down and useless, because that is something Mayor Lifewood would be proud to pass. Useless stuff. She's very good at it. But join us on Twitter at CJP Just Praj P R O J. You get us on Twitter, and you can follow us and join in the conversation tomorrow as I live tweet it. Okay, thank you, everyone. We will see you. Um, We'll see you tomorrow on Twitter and then back here Wednesday at 530 to talk actually about the legislation itself.